This time, a lot more positive. We've got a new bond. We've got some enthusiasm. We've got uh, some problematic racial stereotypes, but nothing we haven't seen before in James Bond. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, we are back. We are here to talk about live and let die. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. So right off the bat, we've got a new bond, new movie. What do you think? So it's been, when did we watch it? It's been like We watched it about four days ago. Four days ago. And I feel like it, so much has happened since then. It's yes. been a very long week. I'm super tired. So Well, as we know, during COVID, uh, <laughs> a normal day is 16 years. So yeah. we have all aged horribly. <laughs> yes. So um, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm trying to remember the different aspects of it. I really did enjoy it. Um, I really liked um, the new Bond. I can't think of his Roger name. Moore. Yes, Roger Moore. I felt like he is a much nicer Bond than a yeah. Sean Connery. I can understand why people would like to work with Roger Moore. Yeah. Uh, God rest his soul. Um, Roger Moore passed away early last year or the year before. Mm. Um and is the first James Bond to die, uh, uh, as far as actors. Okay. Um, and uh, honestly, I I want to make a case for him being the best James Bond um, from this standpoint. Uh, some people will argue Connery because he's closer to the book Bond. Other people, Daniel Craig. Other people, I think Roger Moore is the best James Bond because he is the one that makes Bond watchable and enjoyable and fun. Uh, Roger Moore's James Bond movies are not, uh, for the most part, serious movies. They're yeah. they're kind of silly, kind of fun. Um, and it's, it's the type of movies that you enjoy sitting down to watch over and over and over again. Um, and as we continue on, uh, pretty much uh, throughout Roger Moore's run, and then when Pierce Brosnan comes in, there's that tinge of fun that Bond needs to have in order to, to continue on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not until post 9-11 that we start seeing uh, a lot of the fun go out of entertainment in general, but specifically James Bond. So, yeah. Um, with that said, uh, the year was 1973. Uh, we have a new gun barrel sequence, a new Bond, and more disco than ever. And man, you can feel it. Uh, so we start, um, as no movie should ever start, uh, at the UN. Uh, and this is one of the few cold opens in a James Bond movie that does not have James Bond. Okay. I'm trying to think, did I watch the cold open or was I making dinner? Uh, I think you were wrapping up. So the beginning okay. of the movie, it starts in the United Nations. Uh, the ambassador for the United Kingdom is assassinated via earpiece um, as he is in a room uh, that includes all sorts of random countries. But <laughs> most importantly, uh, our Dr. Kananga, who will be the villain of this film. Uh, we then move to New Orleans. We are outside Phileo Soul, a uh, restaurant chain, uh, where an obvious agent, looks like he does not belong at all, uh, is smoking on a corner. A uh, black funeral passes by, and he finds out too late that the funeral is for him, as the yeah. person who stabs him says, funeral's for you. Um, 
once he's murdered, his corpse is recovered into the uh, into the casket that's being carried, and the music picks up, and it's really happy, and you're kind of glad the agent's dead. Uh, we then move to San Monique, which is a Caribbean island, and we see a voodoo ritual, or what I'd imagine a voodoo ritual looks like, uh, because it is stereotypical uh, as far as what we know of voodoo rituals. Um, <laughs> and yet another agent is killed. At this point, we transition into Paul McCartney's Live and Let Die. And this is widely considered one of the greatest Bond anthems of all time, mainly because separate from the movie, it's a good song. Mm. Um, so lots of uh, imagery of like flaming skulls and voodoo <laughs> to go with the supernatural edge of this movie. Yeah. Um, but this is one of Paul McCartney's first po post Beatles projects with Wings. Uh, his post Beatles band mm -hmm. um, and uh, Linda McCartney uh, helped co-write it. And there's a point in the song where it moves from kind of a rock song into kind of a reggae bridge. Okay. And I'd imagine that was uh, Linda McCartney's uh, contrib <laughs> contribution to the song. Yeah. Um, but knowing Paul McCartney, who has had a varied and storied career, it might have been his idea. <laughs> Regardless, uh, as we transition out of the song, we get back to Bond at work. And by at work, I mean he is in bed with an Italian woman. Uh, <laughs> Bond has a knock at the door, and it's M. M has decided to visit Bond at his flat uh, to give him his assignment. So right, right from the get-go for this new Bond, we have a few things different than anything Sean Connery ever did. One, our, introdu our introduction to Bond is not in a casino, in an action scene, uh, in any sort of uh, real danger. The only danger that he is facing is being caught by his superior with, as we'll find out in a minute, an Italian agent who is not supposed to be in bed with Bond. We also see that Bond actually does sleep somewhere. And yeah, he has a home. He has a home with a boatload of copper roosters for some reason. <laughs> it's it like the 70s. <laughs> I don't know that it's the 70s as much as it's like, you know how your mom like knows you like penguins? Uh -huh. And so that's the thing you yeah, get is yeah, penguin. penguin stuff. Yeah. So like someone heard, oh, he, he likes roosters. And <laughs> so, so every <laughs> every time MI6 has a Christmas party, he's yeah. like, oh, another rooster. I know exactly where I'll put this in, yeah. in the closet. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, right off the bat, uh, we find that this this bond is whereas Connery was very dark, brooding, obviously an alcoholic, and um, borderline abusive in most of his relationships until M scolded him. Uh, this bond is is kind of he plays a completely different side to this character. He's he's a smart aleck. He's he's kind of a mischievous and a, a character. Yeah. And again, as you said more uh more likable bond yes so uh while m is uh looking around bond's flat and bond is moving the italian agent uh like he's shuffling cards um <laughs> money penny uh comes in and uh hands bond all of the things that he'll need for his mission uh, his mission, investigate Dr. Kananga, who was one of the last leads of the three agents who have been killed. Discover what happened to them, but find out the relation of Dr. Kananga. At this point, he is given a magnetic watch. Uh, interesting to note at this point, this is... Our neighbor decided that now was the time to rev his motorcycle as he went by. And he will probably do so at 2 a.m. And yeah. I will probably be angry then. Um... <laughs> Anyhow, uh, 
this is one of the few James Bond movies where the character of Q, the quartermaster, does not appear uh, until we get to Daniel Craig. Uh, even in Doctor No, where uh, the character was not played by Desmond Llewellyn, uh, the character does appear. Okay. So this film, and I believe one, maybe two others, happen between now and uh, Die Another Day, where that particular character doesn't appear. So the gadget for this film uh, that is going to be a multi-purpose gadget is going to be Bond's uh, watch. I believe it's a Rolex. Um, but uh, this is the gadget. The gadget is is the watch, at least for Bond. There'll be tons of other gadgets that pop up through the movie that are uh, introduced, but uh, usually when there's a gadget, uh, Desmond Llewellyn shows up with his uh, giant old man hands and hands them to Bond. Um, but in this film, Money Penny uh, basically just kind of matter-of-factly hands Bond the watch uh, from Q Branch. I'm trying to remember what the special thing about the watch was. Uh, so I will tell you in just a second. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, Money Penny has witnessed the Italian agent uh, in the closet, mm -hmm. and uh, and covers for Bond. She's she's really cool about it after pining after Bond, whose wife just died in the previous movie. <laughs> um, but the the watch's trick, you said you remembered yeah, it? Yeah, I do remember it. Okay, what was it? It's magnetic, like a very strong magnet. It has a very strong magnet. A, a gadget that Bond uses a ton in this movie. Um, there is another gadget in the watch that they don't talk about. Okay. Uh, but gets used at the end of the movie. And I will bring it up when we get there. Okay, I don't remember that part, but I remember the magnet. Uh, but... Bond goes back to his lady love, falls back into bed with her, and we move on to Jane Seymour, who is introduced in this movie. I believe this is her first motion yeah. picture. I mean, she was super young. I almost didn't oh, recognize her because she was so young. It just... She has aged insanely gracefully. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure she has fantastic plastic surgeons. <laughs> um, but in this movie, she is so young um, and... Uh, is one of the better Bond girls uh, in in the history of, of yes. James Bond stories. Um, she doesn't seem vapid. She doesn't seem... She she has some agency. She's Not, very sad. Yes. Um, and we can talk a little bit about her. So basically her whole shtick in this game, her name is... Game? Huh? Game? Yes. Okay. Her whole... Her whole game in this is that she is the girl who tells the future. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a typical myth where it's the virgin priestess. And yeah. the virgin priestess is able to tell the future uh, via, uh, in this, tarot cards. Uh, but the whole idea being that the minute that she is known by a man, uh, she... Uh, will lose her ability. Yes. Um, it's classic myth goes back thousands of years, but uh, in this particular story, uh, we come to find out as the story progresses, and I'll go ahead and cover it here because um, it's kind of slowly doled out over the film. Yeah. Uh, Solitaire, that's Jane, Jane Seymour's her uh, name. name in the film. Uh, her entire family has been used in this way. They have effect effectively been a combination of uh, intelligence and sex slaves for yeah. this family. Um, leading me to question how old Kananga is, but it <laughs> never really addresses that. Um, so we see that Jane Seymour is able to tell the future says that James Bond is on his way. Once Bond gets to New York, uh, we are introduced to our newest Felix. Uh, this is David Hedison, who is one of two Felix Leiters 
as of now, who has been in more than one James Bond movie. Uh, so in every other James Bond movie, there is an, including this one, there is an awkward moment where James Bond runs into a white guy and he says, oh, hey, Felix. <laughs> uh, and it's their way of saying, oh, this is Felix Leiter. You know, Felix, even <laughs> though we've never seen this actor as Felix Leiter. Uh, we get into a car with James uh, as James is being driven to meet Felix his driver is killed uh, surreptitiously by uh, another car that has a really cool dark gun in the rear view mirror and I want one I want a dark uh, gun uh, in, in the, the in the side mirror, passenger side mirror yeah uh, when I'm doing you know 10 over the speed limit and somebody's coming up doing 30 just <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure that they hit the median. It, it'll be fine. <laughs> Anyhow, oh, um, after Bond's driver is killed, Bond backseat drives uh, pretty well, actually, uh, to safety. Uh, we then move over to where Dr. Kananga is moving into a room. Uh, we have found out from Felix that Kananga is under surveillance. Kananga knows he's under surveillance and turns on a tape recorder, which is the bane of all recording uh, instruments <laughs> in the intelligence agency. It's like, man, they keep talking about pizza. Do you think they <laughs> they really like pizza that much? Or, or did they turn on a tape recorder? <laughs> That's why I always talk about pizzas. You never know. You really don't know. Um, at this point... Bond follows the lead into Occult Voodoo, and that's spelled O-H, that's the word, C-U-L-T, that's the word, Voodoo. Occult. Yes. Uh, he goes in uh, trying to track down Kananga and buys a stuffed, stank, a stuffed snake. Uh, he then requests that it's gift-wrapped lengthwise. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh he does this to occupy the shopkeep so that he can get through the back room. Uh, as he gets through the back room, Bond gets to the parking garage where he finds the Cadillac that uh, killed his driver. Uh, as Bond's investigating, Kananga and his entourage come through and escape. At this point, uh, I note there's a conspiracy in Harlem. Uh, 007 is being watched, tailed. Uh, and honestly, it's not that hard to follow him because he is the only white guy in this area. Yeah. Um, and he sticks out like a sore thumb. Sore thumb. Uh, he goes into uh, a bar where he believes he's trailed Kananga. Uh, I'd like a bourbon, no ice. That'll be extra. <laughs> um, as uh, Bond is handed his bourbon, the wall switches around and the bur bourbon is drank by the henchman and Bond is just really sad that he gave money for no drink. <laughs> um, at this point, Solitaire meets Bond uh, and our new, what should we call these particular henchmen? We'll call them, we'll call them like the number one or number two henchmen. <laughs> it's, it's the henchman that's, He's special. Everyone else is just the mindless bad guy who, I, if you get killed, oh, it's it was Jeff. Jeff, the bad guy, uh, died. <laughs> we barely knew Jeff. Do you know Jeff's last name? Nah, man. I'm just, I'm going to keep talking about Jeff and hope no one asks. <laughs> um, no, we are introduced to our new number one or number two henchman, T. He, who is a yes. who is a large, bald uh, black man. I would say he's about six five, six seven. He's and, huge, and he has an artificial arm. Uh, and he uses this artificial arm to break Bond's gun. And Bond doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell or or even... He just looks sad that his gun got broken. <laughs> uh, because they're expensive and he'll probably get in trouble. Um, so at this point, Solitaire reads Bond's fortune. Bond is being really cute towards her. And 
he says, well, what's my fortune? She goes, pick a card. And he flips it over and it's the fool. And she goes, the card spoke. And you're like, sick burn, solitaire. Take that, Bond. Um, at this point, we are introduced to a honestly pretty racist stereotype uh, named Mr. Big. Um, now, a little interesting factoid for you. Um I'm going to go ahead and spoil a big twist that's about an hour away from happening uh-huh. in the movie. Um, Mr. Big is Kananga. Uh, right. Kananga did not exist in the original book, Live and Let Die. Oh, it was just Mr. Big? So, uh, the original book is the sequel to... Uh, Ian Fleming's first novel, uh, Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is immediately after Bond has gone through the ordeal of, well, I'll talk about that when we get to Casino Royale. Uh, <laughs> but he's a relatively fresh agent. Uh, Felix is a new friend. He is helping Felix out as he's investigating uh, some activity going on in Harlem. When we're introduced to Mr. Big, there is some blatant, blatant, blatant racism on Ian Fleming's part, uh, where he compares uh, uh, Mr. Big to a gorilla. Mm. And uh, lots and lots of uh, wording, imagery, really products of their time that I'm glad don't make it into this movie. Yes. Um, even the even the Mr. Big image that is torn off for the Kananga, uh, I like that twist just because it takes that race racial stereotype uh, and throws it on its head. Uh, when you find out that Kananga is posturing, he's using this identity as a cover um, because there's an expectation that he's some s- savage hood drug lord, and that's not him at all. He's still a bad guy. Yeah. But it's it's not what everyone's thinking it is. Uh, it's also important to point out at this point um, that this movie is one of the earliest James Bond movies to take a sampling from what's popular around it and make the movie kind of fit that mold. So mm-hmm. this is by and large a black exploitation film. For those of you not familiar with the term, during the uh, 70s into the 80s, and they still happen today to a certain extent. Um, There are movies that are made uh, with black audiences in mind. Uh, The term black exploitation refers to the people in the film, but also the people who would be viewing the film. Mm -hmm. Um, In total seriousness, representation is important. Um, if, If you've got a black child in your family, that black child wants to see someone who looks like them as a superhero, yeah. as Spider-Man, as uh, as Superman, as they they want to see that representation. The hero could be me. I could be the hero. Um, and so, black exploitation films, by and large, gave that to audiences that might not get it otherwise. One of my favorite movies uh, from 1985 is a movie called The Last Dragon. At some point, we will talk about it on this podcast. But before we get to that, I'm going to recommend it to anyone who wants a really good idea of what a black exploitation film is. Go watch that movie. It's an entertaining movie. It is silly. It is weird. It is really entertaining. It is really good. Uh, it stars Ty Mock and uh, Prince's ex-girlfriend, uh, Vanity. If you don't know who those people are, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, if you didn't grow up in that era or in the fields that would know who those people are. It's okay. Watch the movie. It's really good. It is very eighties. The hair is so big um, that I'm pretty sure if there were any open flames, they had to cover them before vanity walked through. There was so much hairspray back to this film. Um, As soon as bond is introduced to Mr. Big uh, bond asks Mr. Big's name and we get the great quote, Names is for tombstones, baby. Um, (laughs) And Big leaves the room. At this point, uh, Bond, as he's passing Solitaire on his way to what will likely be his execution, says, hey, will we see each other again? She goes, pick a card. 
he pulls a card off the deck, and it is the lover's card. And she is visibly taken aback, like, oh, my. Because <laughs> uh, she knows uh, that's all kinds of bad juju. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad pun. All right. <laughs> um, so as Bond is being taken out back to be executed, he escapes his captors and is immediately put at gunpoint by another black man in a suit. This is actually a good guy. Uh, this is Struthers, uh, CIA agent. Um, at this point, we jump uh, away from Harlem all the way down to uh, the Caribbean, and we are introduced to Baron Samedi, uh, who is actually a mythological character in uh, Car Caribbean... Caribbean? Caribbean? Yeah, that word. Uh, culture. <laughs> Um, if you watch the movie, the, uh, the princess and the frog, I always forget because the story was called the frog prince. Yeah. Um, the villain in that movie is a version of Baron Samity. Um, it's, it's a character that he's the boogeyman okay. for, for lack of a better term. So, Baron Samity is at a tourist trap. It's it's like a resort, and there are a bunch of white people just sipping umbrella drinks around, you know, clapping at, oh, look at the black people, and, you know, <laughs> doing what us stupid white tourists do. And uh, at this point, Bond goes to get his room ready to just chill out for the night. I mean, he's had a long week. Yeah. And he finds out that Mrs. Bond has already checked them in and is waiting. And we and James both know, oh, that's weird. I don't have a wife. <laughs> she died uh, a few movies ago. Yeah. But anyway, Bond goes to his room, uh, notices that there's no one actually there, and decides, dis decides, ugh. <laughs> Guys, my tongue's not working. It's been a week. Um, Bond readies a bath, uh, decides that he is ready to chill for the night. It's time to just take off the work clothes, just get in a bathrobe, you know, test for bugs, make sure <laughs> that no one's listening in, uh, just smoke a cigar, kill a <laughs> snake that's been sent to assassinate you, you know, unwind. Yeah. Um, no, Bond, Bond, as he's uh, shaving and, and bathing, a snake is sent in with, I'm assuming, uh, the purpose of killing him. Uh, during this point, we're introduced to yet another named henchman, Whisper, who always talks like this, and it hurts me a little bit. <laughs> um, Bond uses a lighter and... Uh, uses his cigar and an aftershave, a spray-on aftershave to kill the snake. And I immediately think, man, kids in the 1970s probably set their parents' carpet on fire more than once because of this movie. <laughs> um, at this point, we're introduced to Mrs. Bond. Uh, Rosie Carver. Uh, I think Rosie is the first black Bond girl. Yeah. Um, but we find out that Rosie is a CIA agent. She was working with uh, the agent who was assassinated in the voodoo ceremony earlier. Um, Bond uh, makes a move to sleep with Rosie. She's like, uh-uh, not going to do that. And then she gets scared out of her room by some voodoo stuff and goes, okay, okay, okay. And <laughs> it's never stated whether they sleep together or not. I'm assuming because they slept in the same room. Uh, it's likely they slept together. Yeah. They end up sleeping together later. Um, at this point, uh, Bond uh, and her lights out. The next morning, Bond's at breakfast and intercepts a tarot card. Uh, and uh, he gets a look on his face, has kind of a sly expression. We're not quite sure what's going through his head. Um, at this point, he goes to the gift shop, uh, which we have passed three times at this point, where uh, tarot cards are on sale. Uh, they go and board a boat. Uh, aboard the boat, Rosie threatens the captain, Coral Jr., uh, after finding radio equipment. Uh, as we're introduced to Coral Jr., uh, we see, hey, uh, Coral, who was murdered in Dr. No, apparently had offspring or kids, or in the weird situation like I know of via family friends, 
they took the name of an in-law? <laughs> it's a whole thing. Anyhow, Coral Jr. is there. Uh, Bond says that this is the man who shares my hairbrush, <laughs> which is an expression I've not heard before, but needs to be used more often. <laughs> what does it mean? Oh, I don't know. I okay. just, whenever I introduce you, I, I want to say, this is Betsy, the woman who shares my hairbrush. <laughs> this is Bobby, yeah. the cat who shares my hairbrush. Can you hear that, Bobby? This is Tiger Lily, the cat who shares my toothbrush. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, moving on. Uh, as uh, Bond and Rosie approach Kananga's hideout, uh, Rosie uh, decides uh, that they need to stop down the hill, even though she said they needed to go up the hill. Bond confronts her. Uh, with the card from breakfast says, Hey, I received this. I assume it's coded. What's going on? You're going to tell me or I'm going to shoot you. Um, Rosie runs away, uh, seeing some voodoo stuff around. Uh, and as she runs away, uh, one of the many scarecrows on the island opens its mouth and shoots her dead. Oh, I missed that part. Yep. Um, let's see here. Solitaire is trying to read the future. She keeps pulling the lover's card all over again. I think maybe she's got Bond on the brain. But uh, at this point, let's see here. My notes are a jumble. I've got bad handwriting. All right. Uh is really mad at Solitaire because she said that there would be death. Uh, and she said, well, maybe I saw the girl's death. And Kananga's really getting upset with solitaire and i gotta be honest i would too i really hate whenever people are like you know technically i did what you asked and i'm like technically you did i'm like but actually you're being a butt <laughs> just like i am right now and taking a break We're back. At this point, Bond decides that he needs to make a slightly more discreet approach to Kananga's palace, seeing as Rosie was murdered and not fully understanding how. Uh, so Bond hang glides in. Uh, as he gets close to the palace, he's wearing a black suit. You're like, yeah, stealthy but classy. And then he rips off the pants like they're jogging pants uh and reverses his jacket and now he's wearing like a sunsuit and he's like well i guess it's gonna be sun soon i i i want to i want to be you know stylish outside it's before labor day white's okay it is all right i i don't want to be gauche going in in black i i, I want to wear the sunsuit and uh yeah bond does that uh there's kind of a weird cut at this point and solitaire comes in uh bonds wearing her like her headdress and playing with her tarot cards uh and she's like put those down put those down and he's uh he's kind of like the the playful teenager he's like oh what these cards <laughs> um bond uh <laughs> sorry uh bond at this point tell Solitaire, hey, you want to make sure there's not a mistake here. Pick a card, pull the future. If if it says that I'm supposed to leave, I'll leave. And she pulls out the lover and they begin making out. At this point, Bond reveals that he has switched all the cards to the <laughs> lover. And you have to wonder how many decks of tarot cards he pulled <laughs> he had to buy. From, that, uh, from that gift shop. Also, if you pay close attention to the cards on the back of them, they all say 007. I did not see that. The reason being, these are actual, uh, like, souvenirs that you can buy. You can buy these packs of cards. Nice. Uh, and I'm pretty sure on the pack they're branded Live and Let Die. Huh. Um, are they all lover cards? No. there's <laughs> it's, it's like a... It's like, I want to say that the lover is like the Joker, and I, they might actually be playing cards. Ah. 
you can probably get the tarot cards too. Anyhow, at this point, we enter into the point in the movie, and by point in the movie, I mean long stretch of the movie where Bond is on the run. Um, before we get to that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I've really got to start putting numbers on my notes. Uh, Bond reveals he stacked the deck. Solitaire doesn't care. Uh, he interrogates Solitaire, trying to figure out what's on the island, what what is being hidden, what what is Kananga doing. Uh, Bond offers protection for Solitaire in exchange for the information. Uh, as they're fleeing the the palace, now into the stretch of running, uh, they encounter Baron Smeddy, uh Sans makeup. He's just out there playing a flute by a hut. Um, after Bond and Solitaire pass by, he pulls a little uh, antenna out of the flute, <laughs> and it's a walkie-talkie yeah. and a flute, and it still has pretty good sound. Yeah. Uh, at this point, they go over a hill, and they discover that there are uh, there's a bunch of camouflage hiding heroin, uh, poppy plants. And uh, they escape on a double-decker bus, uh, which we go through an interesting scene where it loses the top layer of the double-decker. Yeah. Uh, fun note, Jane Seymour was on the bus while they did some of the stunts, and you can <laughs> actually see her hanging on for dear life yeah. in the back of the bus. <laughs> uh, and they did not tell her some of the things they were going to do. Yeah. And didn't she make a statement saying they didn't even give me a safety harness or anything? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> oh, the 1970s when you tried to kill actors and actresses so you didn't have to pay residuals. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, they get on Coral's bus, uh, bus, boat, and make a run for New Orleans. As soon as they make landfall, Bond and Solitaire are captured by the cabbie from Harlem. Uh, Bond gets free and makes a run for it with Mrs. Bell on a training plane. Uh, they are at an airport. Yes. Uh, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Bell looks like uh, she might be the secretary on the West Wing uh, before she has a car accident. <laughs> um, as soon as Bond has made his escape after destroying lots and lots of property, including the trainer plane, uh, Felix is on the phone with the flight school trying to talk them down while Bond lives it up. He's like getting a new suit tailored and getting room service and man, I am just thinking that I need to change careers and work for the British Secret Service because you get five star living. I mean, yeah. you've got a short shelf life. You're probably going to die in like 30 days. Right. But, but hey, for 30 days, you're like, you're staying by the beach and not a not a room not even a suite like a palatial like penthouse like yeah. and like twenty thousand dollars suits and oh and and they tailor them and think yeah. about it come funeral time i mean you're gonna have a closed casket funeral because you're not gonna have a head but <laughs> that suit on yeah. your body it's gonna look good it's gonna be made of pure silk yeah it's gonna be perfect anyhow meanwhile <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, there's so much ridiculous in this movie and I love every minute of it. Uh, Struthers is murdered exactly the same way as the agent from the early, uh, from the beginning of the film. Um, while Felix is distracted uh, and they go into Fleo's soul, Bond sinks into the floor where again he is captured uh, by Mr. Big, finding Solitaire and Teehee alongside. At this point, Bond tells Kananga that he will only, uh, he tells Mr. Big that he will only talk to Kananga. He will not talk to Mr. Big. Mr. Big yeah. clears the room, rips off his own face, revealing that he is Kananga. Uh, Bond learns that Kananga uh, determines, let's see here. Man, I wrote a bad sentence there. Uh, and by bad, I mean uh, poorly structured. Um, he determines that Kananga has set out to form a heroin monopoly. The whole point of the drugs is to have a ready supply to send out free samples to everyone and drive the prices down so low that all of Kananga's competitors will go out of business and he will be the sole source of heroin, at least on the Eastern seaboard. Uh -huh. And honestly, 
pretty good sense of business. Um, Kananga at this point has he's suspicious that Solitaire's lost the gift, but he verifies it at this point. Bond is taken to a croc and gator farm, also a drug lab. Um, and Bond is set to die by a crocodile. He's left out on an island after the crocs have been partially fed. Yes. And uh, some fun notes about this scene. First of all, the name Kananga comes from the owner of the crocodile farm. Uh, Ross Kananga uh, is uh, the guy who runs this place. Mm -hmm. It's like a ranch for crocodiles and the occasional alligator. Mm -hmm. The other fun thing is when Bond makes his escape, escape here in a second uh, and runs across crocodiles to get off of this island, that is actually Ross Kananga doing it. And you can YouTube live and let die crocodiles and you can see all of the takes leading up to the successful one. Like the one where he gets snagged by a crocodile on the pants. The one where he falls into the water halfway over and straddles a crocodile so it doesn't eat him. Yes. Wow. I highly recommend watching the YouTube it was, video. It was e very entertaining. Even if you don't watch the movie, it is harrowing because these are real animals. This is a real person yeah. who could really die. Yeah, but these are his his crocodiles. He knew how to handle them. He knew what his risks were. So, but, yeah. as Bond escapes, uh, he decides to send the gators into the drug lab and then sets it on fire. Bond jumps in a speed rope, a speed rope, speed boat. <laughs> I'm sorry. My tongue is never great, but it is not good today. Yeah. Um, at this point, we are introduced to a character who will be in two Bond films, including this one. The racist, ever fun Sergeant uh, Sheriff J.W. G.W. Pepper. Sorry, he has a really thick Southern accent. So he's going to be in another one? Uh, the movie we will be watching this coming week, yeah. uh, he makes a return. Wow. So, fun note here. This movie predates the film Smoking and the Bandit. A lot of the chase scenes in this film and the film that come after uh, both kind of inform that there's, I want to say, I've, I've heard from some film historians, the the kind of racist sheriff chasing the rogue uh, mm -hmm. across the country wasn't something new, but it was kind of heightened during this period with this film, Smokey and the Bandit. And Smokey and the Bandit popularized it enough that they made a show that they couldn't use the Smokey and the Bandit uh, property on. What do you think that show was? It was a very popular show. Wait, and we're talking about the 70s? Yes. The Zorro? No. Nope. Oh. I'm like, I'm way off on that one. Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. I've never seen Dukes of Hazard, so I really don't know anything about it. That's all right. It's not good. <laughs> Come at me, audience. Dukes of Hazard <laughs> is not entertaining. I'm sure it was in the 70s and 80s. It is not the 70s and 80s. Moving on. I don't on. know why I thought Zorro, because like, I knew it was wrong when I said it. It's okay. I say a lot of things that I'm I know. I'm tired, and so that's just what came out of my mouth. There is a lot of wrong that comes out of my mouth. I say it anyway. <laughs> you know why? Because it makes me laugh. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, we are now in a boat chase across Louisiana. Louisiana. Yep, the words are not easy. <laughs> uh, Bond makes a bomb out of uh, the bad guy uh, who's chasing him. Uh, eventually, uh, Bond just pulls up to uh, the dock where G.W. Pepper, the entire sheriff department, and Felix Leiter are waiting. G.W. Pepper is just excited that he caught the bad guy he's been chasing all state. And Felix goes, um, Captain, can you inform the sheriff uh, what's going on here? So it took me all of two minutes to tell you about this boat chase. This boat chase lasts 30 minutes. Yes. Um, some people may or may not enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It's a good fun. There's a lot of dynamic movement in it, and I'm not going to bore you with describing it. <laughs> uh, moving into the third act, Bond and Coral are going to infiltrate Kananga's island hideout, uh, destroy the drugs. 
as they're getting uh, off the boat, Felix hands uh, Bond a shark gun. Uh, we'll see what that does in just a moment. Uh, as Bond gets onto the island, uh, voodoo ceremony is in process. Quirrell plants the bombs at the heroin field. Bond watches as Baron Samedi rises from the grave and Solitaire is strapped to the sacrifice pillar. Um, at this point, Bond shoots the priest in a visceral scene. It looks like he blows off his head and you come to find out it's just a statue. Um, and he starts shooting anyone who gets between him and Solitaire. As the poppy field explodes behind him, uh, another Baron Smeddy comes out of the ground and Bond knocks him into a tomb full of snakes, mm -hmm. which just an awful way to go because yeah. snakes are terrible. And if you like them, you're a terrible person. <laughs> um, at this point, Bond determines that the, the lift that was raising out of the graves uh, is the path to Kananga's underground lair. As he gets into the underground lair, he and Solitaire are taken captive yet again because Bond can't make it two steps without being taken uh, captive. Um, and Kananga is not even mad. Oh, the poppy's gone. Apparently, he shipped off enough. He's he's good. He invites uh, he invites Bond and Solitaire to have some champagne, and he's just he's really chill about the whole thing. And I am yeah. thinking, man, Kananga has to be just tripping balls on heroin right now <laughs> to be this happy um and uh as bond is talking through kananga monologuing kananga says oh no you're gonna die and he ties uh solitaire and bond to a uh we'll call it a lift even though it's more like an anchor type deal mm -hmm. he's gonna lower them into a pool of sharks he cuts bond wrist so that uh, the sharks will be uh, in a frenzy. Mm -hmm. As they are being lowered towards the water, Bond uses his watch with the magnet to attract uh, one of the bullets from the shark gun. The shark gun, as is demonstrated by Kananga, has an expanding bullet that blows up with air, whatever it is shot at. Mm -hmm. uh, he does this to poor Whisper who's on a couch and <laughs> it blows up and looks like an inflatable couch. Hmm. But at this point we're like, cool, what's he going to do with the bullet? How's he going to get out of this? And then the bullet is not how he's going to get out. The watch face begins to spin like a buzzsaw and he cuts himself out of his chains. Oh, nice. Somehow I missed that part. Yeah. And at no point was it ever explained to Bond that his watch did that. So Bond assumed it would do that. That it would do that. And I wonder what would have happened if it hadn't. <laughs> Lucky for Bond it did. Anyhow, Kananga sees Bond escaping, immediately comes to attack, uh, and just fights just crazy. He comes in like a madman. Uh, they fight, they fall into the into the pool, and at this point, Bond takes out the exploding bullet, shoves it in Kananga's mouth, jams his jaw shut, exploding the bullet and making Kananga turn into a giant balloon that flies out of the water and explodes. I totally missed that part. Well, how did I miss that part? Did I fall asleep? Uh, I don't know, but I am now Googling Kananga balloon, and I hope that you as a viewer are as well um because this uh this is what he looks like when he comes out of the water <laughs> i do not remember soon trying to remember what happened how i'd missed that part of the movie uh and that's a picture of the actual balloon right there <laughs> um apparently so weird yeah uh so apparently on the set it didn't look great and so when the shot happens, there's an unnatural zoom uh, that was obviously done post-editing where they zoom in on the Kananga balloon so you can't focus on... It doesn't look great. Uh -huh. um, and now it only draws attention to how off the, the balloon is when it zooms in, but 
Anyhow, <laughs> Kananga's dead. Whispers run away. All is well in the world. Bond and Solitaire board a train to go back to New York. At this point, Felix asks Bond, James, what are you going to do for nine and a half hours? And <laughs> Bond just gives him a look like, oh, Felix. <laughs> so at this point, we're on the train. Bond and Solitaire are enjoying uh, the joys of not being captured and on the run. When at this point, we zoom in on a mailbag and go, uh-oh, that's not a normal size mailbag. That's like a seven foot five or six foot five <laughs> mailbag with a metal arm. And Teehee cuts himself out of the mailbag. He turns off the lights and Solitaire thinks that it's Bond coming to be romantic. And Teehee folds her up inside the train bed. Um, at this point, Bond fights Teehee. Uh, they have a pretty good fight. Uh, it's probably one of the more visceral, really good fights that has been in a Bond film since From Russia With Love or uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, Bond is on the ropes uh, and just conveniently, yet again, there is just a basket full of wire cutters right there, <laughs> uh, which he uses to cut the cords that operate the, the arm for Teehee. Uh, Bond jams Teehee's arm onto the window, throws him overboard, uh, he then lets Solitaire out of the uh, the hideaway bed. The Murphy bed? I don't know if this one's a Murphy bed. Yes, I was corrected on Murphy yeah. beds from You Only Live Twice. Uh, but at this point, she goes, what are you doing? That wasn't funny at all. And he goes, sorry, darling, just being disarming. And throws Teehee's arm out the window. <laughs> yeah, at this point... Line. We get the weirdest cut of the movie to the front of the train where Baron Smetty is just laughing. And then we go to credits. Live and let die. Yeah. It's a weird ending for a really good movie. Yeah. And it's almost like he's just a ghost sitting there at the top. I think that's part of the point, though. Yeah. But it just makes it silly. It does. But overall, I really enjoyed this. This was a really good palate cleanser from Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. And where the... I think they were trying to be the Las Vegas kind of Ocean's Eleven, original Ocean's Eleven type movie with Diamonds Are Forever. It never really grabbed me. It never really took. Yeah. Um, this, I was along for the ride every bit of the way. And I really enjoyed it. Um, while Roger Moore is still kind of sleazy, he's not abusive and predatory yeah. and and i i appreciate that turn he's still not a great role model uh this is still not how you probably want to treat women yeah uh but it's uh a kinder gentler bond um at least until the next movie when he uh kicks a child off of a boat but we'll talk about that <laughs> next week uh for the man with the golden gun uh, also known as the James Bond film that almost killed the franchise. Oh, nice. That'll be interesting to see. We will see you next week. <laughs> Bye.